Welcome to Lamestream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like this show, you could rate it, review it, you could subscribe to it, you could smash the subscribe button, and you can tell two people, two people, that you listen to Lamestream Sports. I don't think that's asking too much, folks. Two people about the pod. That's all we ask. Cal Baxter is our guest on the show today. Longtime photog, cameraman extraordinaire for News Channel 2, covering all kinds of sports in this market for the better part of two decades. He is one of the most meticulous and nicest people I have ever been around in Nashville media um, and had a great conversation with him about, you know, getting his head busted in the swamp, shooting a football game, uh, how the consult, you know, the the shrinking of the newsroom and the sports report and then what he tries to do on the sidelines of a game, trying to bring you something different than what the TV broadcast brings you. And so a lot of fun stuff with Cal. He's great. Uh, you guys are going to really enjoy it. Really appreciate Cal joining us here. Glad to see that his uh, employer uh, maybe not blocking him from talking about his former employer. Wow. Just saying. Just going to put that out there. Just going to okay. subtweet that shit right, right, <laughs> right into your veins. Are you? Is that a sub pod? Is that what that is? Like the sub pod. Sub podding? Come on, dude. <laughs> Cal Baxter is <laughs> going to be our guest today. So there's also huge news in the TV broadcast world. Um, with all the big news about the Big Ten and the CBS, NBC, Fox trio of contracts worth a billion dollars for college football, what does that mean? As well as ESPN's broadcast rights for the SEC already looking better every day. Uh, that hasn't even started yet. So we'll get into which college football broadcasts are better and which NFL broadcasts are better, which networks are doing TV games better. We'll do that a little bit later on today on the show. We have I have one spectacular recommendation for you too. You're gonna oh. wanna you're gonna wanna pick this up. It, okay. It's it is one of the best things I have heard in a long, long time. Okay. Uh, spectacular recommendation, as well as a d- debate about who's doing college football broadcasts the best and why. I've got some, I did some research on this. So I'll give you some data and some facts about 720 downsampling into the ESPN studio and upsampling back to 1080 and why it sucks for TV viewers. But uh, <laughs> so I've, I've got some stuff for you guys a little bit later on. Um, we did some actual research on the pod today, so we, wow. we, that one of us did, we got some stuff, we got some stuff for you. Um, of course, before we talk to Cal, Lame Street Sports is brought to you by Jaspers, always brought to you by the fine folks at Jaspers. If you would like Jaspers to cater your tailgate, your office meeting, your house party, whatever it may be, Jaspers.restaurant, go check them out. They've got a fajita bar folks. And as we've established now on the pod on, and other pods as well, there is no time. No place or time in the world that is where a fajita bar is unacceptable. There's not always one. acceptable, always preferable if you can find one. Yep. Fajita bars and pastries and pork rinds and queso and burgers and wings and all kinds of delicious treats sent directly to your tailgate party. So go check them out over on West End Jasper's free parking, folks. All right. No more from us. We'll have a big, deb- big debate afterward, as well as one of the best recommendations Steve has ever had. No, no over promising here. This is our conversation with former and videographer for News Channel 2, Cal Baxter. Cal, welcome to the show. Good to see you, man. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. You know, we're coming to you live from the home office, just like you guys. But, you know, <laughs> it's different because, you know, I changed jobs. So there we go. Well, this is technically a sports exit interview because you've been at news channel two for the better part of two decades off and on obviously in there um so we'll get to your all the things that you've you've done through the course of that that stint and then a lot of different things that you've dealt with and and as a, a guy who has to bring us all the visual imagery of the sports world and so first tell everybody the different roles that you played there and how your you know role with the company evolved over 20 years well, I, I first came to News 2 in 2002. I had worked in Knoxville for a year after graduating from UT, and I was originally hired as a videographer editor for sports. Um, and when you work in local sports, especially in local television, you kind of have to take on many roles. And I was still, you know, a greenhorn or wet behind the ears, so to speak. And I had to learn kind of the producing role. And through four years at News 2, I mean, mainly my job was 
you know, shooting Titans games, shooting balls games, shooting Vanderbilt games. And then uh, I did that for four years and down. How, pretty- how many miles did you put on your car during that time? Back and forth. We try, we went to Knoxville quite frequently back then um, because the balls were good. So um, <laughs> that later became not a problem. Huh? That later was not a problem. <laughs> oh no, not in the last, not in the last 10 years. No, not as much, not as much, but the early 2000s, the balls were good. So we went to Knoxville frequently. Um, and then, but you know, uh, at the time news two had the Monday night live with Jeff Fisher. And so we also had sports extra and we had um, a Friday night high school football show. Now I was out shooting games for that, but like sports extra, we had a producer, Tim Hardiman. Um, that was his full-time role, but he, he would go on vacation. And so I would, he was allowed to take vacation. So I, you know, when he, <laughs> when he took vacation, I kind of stepped into his role and worked with John Dwyer, John Bork, Tom Oates, Corey Curtis, Sarah Walsh. Um, in those years. And, and I kind of thought that that was something that I wanted to kind of move towards was kind of a producing role, but like, as again, you kind of have to wear many hats. So that's, I did that, but it wasn't my full-time role. It was more of the videographer, sports videographer, editor kind of thing. And, and that was, how how was that different than when you announced that you were kind of leaving, you, you now are going to go into the public sector and work for the state, but what, what, um, how different was it the very last year of your job? We hadn't traveled much. Um, we stayed in town. Um, we weren't as aggressive with what we were covering. Um, they were giving us less time to do things. And, and I say less time. Our, you know, our sports cast was down to 90 seconds at 6 o'clock and 2 minutes at 10. As opposed to Oof. three, yeah, three. I mean, I think we were three and a half minutes, almost four minutes when I first started at News Two at ten o'clock back in two thousand two, and I think the the three and a half was pretty much the standard for six o'clock newscast, and that got whittled down to ninety seconds. So it just it was it was it was a big change, and you know, philosophies changed. And I kind of made the decision that it was time for me to explore other opportunities. And so that's why I, I left news too. What that whittling down, it, that whittling down is, is not, you, you, the, the KRN's not alone. I mean, no. uh, uh, every other station has sort of whittled in, in that respect. What do you think's lost in that? Well, I think what's lost in it is you just kind of have to gloss over everything. You don't get any breakdown of coverage and, you know, some of that decision making, you know, comes from consultants. Like they, they, it's consultant driven. Like consultants say, people don't want to watch local sports on or sports on local newscasts. They can get it from ESPN. That's the, that's the great line. And if you don't give them an option, <laughs> then they're definitely not going to want to watch. And you know that if you don't promote your sports people and don't put them out there. It's kind of hard for people to get to know them, that kind of thing. That's a, and, and that's, and, and that touches on something that I, I think most people are, are not aware of. Uh, promotion at a TV station is a very real thing. Uh, and there is, <laughs> I, I found a lot of TV journalists to be, to be a, you know, good people, good journalists, whatever else, but, you can bring out a real cattiness uh, when you bring up the ter- uh, topic of promotion because it is the station putting their face on either billboards or on air or in advertisements in, in various media. What is the what happens when you don't promote from within for something like sports? People just don't know. I mean, like you kind of we, you know. <sighs> you kind of have to do your own outreach and you know the the you're not going to gather you know the casual person like the sports people the sports the like the people that were fans of titans and preds and uh, 
other Vanderbilt, other, other teams in town knew who our sports people were because they followed us already. But you, but this, the media game is to get the other people that are not already paying attention to you to watch. That's how you sell ads and things like that. You've already got these people hooked, you know, it's the, the whole goal is to get the people that you don't have because that's, those are eyeballs or readers or whatever you want to call them that, or listeners that those are the ones that are going to build your business. And if you can't reach them by promoting your people or promoting them to a new audience, then you kind of get stuck. So, uh, Cal, we will get to the role that the Tennessee Titans played in your marriage in just a minute, uh, which is a heck of a tease uh, by me, I might add. Um, But I want to know about go back to shooting games like I want. So everybody thinks about like shooting a game. And the only time the average sports fan probably sees or notices anything about the person shooting the game is when the football player like accidentally trucks some guy like down at yes, the back that's the, happened the, to me by the pylon. So first of all, I want to know what's the worst one that's ever happened to you. But then I want to go back. I want to dive into sort of like, what is the key to shooting a game? Well, with, you know, a, a $600,000 camera on your shoulder. <laughs> well, what I, I, people like, or always like, I told people I videotaped the games. Nothing I did at a Titans game was seen on television as the game was happening. That was left up to CBS, ESPN, NBC, Fox. Those guys, they're the ones with cable, like long cables tied to their cameras. Everything I did was recorded. And everything that I did was either shown, was going to be shown on News 2 during a regular newscast or Monday Night Live with Jeff Fisher or, or any of the coaches shows with Ken Wisenhunt, Mike Munchak. Mike Malarkey. That's where my video showed up. Um, and I, you know, we get, we provided angles that net maybe the networks didn't give you, you know, we knew that we knew our, you know, my job was to know the Titans inside and out. And so if I noticed something was happening on a sideline, I could go get that as opposed to like the network, they have to focus on the game action. Um, I kind of lucked into shooting or kind of backed into shooting. Like when I was an intern in Knoxville going to UT and interning at WATE in Knoxville, you know, they, they had me shoot for high school football on Friday nights as like an intern. I go with the photographer and he'd get his highlights and he'd hand me the camera. And I, I was like kind of like a natural at it, or I just kind of tried to emulate what I saw in NFL films as far as following the football and that kind of thing. And I picked up on it. And my, one of my mentors, Jim Wogan uh, at the time told me, you're pretty good at this. And so that's kind of how I got into it, how I became a video because I wanted to be on TV, but realized that that wasn't going to be my, my career path. Um, but when I'm shooting a game for Titans, I'm, I'm following the action, but I'm following it from field level. And, you know, everybody at home watches on television from that nice camera that's either parked at the 50 yard line or they have them at the 20. So when they shift and they have other cameras and, you know, you guys can tell, and I think the viewers can tell when ESPN is involved or Sunday night football or NBC is involved because they double the cameras that are there. But if it's the E or F game on the CBS slate, they've got the minimum. And so sometimes you don't have the replay angles that they need to solve a replay controversy. Um, now, they can't use my camera, but I, my camera's recorded and we may be able to talk about it on, you know, the newscast or Sports Extra about it. But that's, you know, that's what I felt like my job was to do was to bring, bring another angle to things and be, you know, get right in the action. And I learned, you know, how to do that from the different guys that I've was watching do do my job you know i think of uh tim hardeman he was a really good videographer and he took showed me different ways to do things um chris Kerwin in, in washington dc he had a different way and i learned from him and i tried when i came back to news 2 in 2011 i tried to like take all those little things that i watched those guys do and bring it to bring it to my my role what what was the what was the worst sideline 
dust up you've ever had as a cameraman and um what did you learn in that experience uh the, what i learned is not the guy you see it's the guy you don't see it's the guy <laughs> you're not looking at and so um one of the things that i guess is or was different about me is i am left eye dominant so i'm shooting like with looking through the viewfinder like this so, and the viewfinder comes from this side of the camera. So basically, because I'm looking through the viewfinder like this, my right eye is closed or it's looking into something solid. So I don't see, you know, some people shoot with two eyes so they can kind of see. So this was, it was a game in the swamp and it was Tennessee and Florida. And I feel like it was a night game. And I made a, you know, I think I was, I don't remember if I was working in Nashville or Knoxville at the time, but anyway, opposite end of the field where the teams run out, I'm on the Tennessee sideline, just in, just in, just a couple yards past the goal line. So between the, um, and there was an, somebody threw an out route in my direction. And there was a receiver coming at me and I saw him. So I stepped to avoid the receiver. But what I didn't see was the trailing Florida DB. <laughs> and he gave oh. me a nice, he gave me a nice, like full arms extended. He's got to protect himself. And I went over backwards um, and actually kind of bumped my head on some aluminum steps that the Florida band uses to get on the field. And did you, I what, was the, what, was, what was the state I, the, of the camera the camera well the camera the good thing about the camera is it landed like like on the battery like straight on the battery and um it actually you could see the tape glitch where it, like it bumped but it continued to it picked up and continued to roll i remember listening to the tape going i'm still rolling still rolling <laughs> but i had but i had a little there was a i had a, I had a small cut on my head it wasn't like gushing blood or anything like that and i continued to shoot the game after it was in the first half did you did you show up on the uh on the master shot i'm did sure you, i was in did i'm you, sure did i was you, on the tv copy of that i'm sure i was now um, now because, people, I, because it was the tv because the tv cameras were on the opposite like on the opposite sideline so you know definitely if they followed the action, you saw me get shoved out of the way. But like, I don't know, you know, I don't remember that. I mean, I was, it was probably 21 years ago, 20 when, years ago. When, now, when that, when that happens, do you, does it happen again? Like, does it ha like, is it just like the person that's willing to go in the, 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 the fray all the time? People, there are some people, but I was, I, I, I learned as I kind of, like, I was young at that time. So I was like willing to like stand in there and like, go for it but as i got older i'm like it's not worth getting hurt for this like <laughs> because because some people because some people you know like you've seen some bad collisions on the yeah. sideline um i know uh two people i know had serious broken bones from it uh bob kuzak who works at, uh, at wtvf news channel 5 broke his leg at a high school game and then uh, Rick Rose Russo at WVLT in Knoxville. I well, I saw it happen on TV. He was in Columbia, South Carolina, I think, a couple years ago, um, I, and got rolled up on. And I mean, he was in. He had to have surgery. He was in a boot. I mean, it was yeah. bad. And it's just, it's look. We all take pride in our jobs, but it's just not worth <laughs> that. I don't believe because in the grand scheme of things. That win, that one shot's not gonna win you, not gonna get you any, like just self preservation. He, no, but yeah, by, <laughs> by the way, for those not being able to watch, he says this with three Emmys over his shoulder. Just, yeah, no, just, no. Like, but those were, but, but those, but those weren't <laughs> like for those. Those weren't those weren't for my individual work. That was for like teamwork. I'm just saying. Those are for. I'm just saying. I know, but like, <laughs> I just I but like I I didn't submit that video for an award. Right. right. But I feel I mean, like I I feel like when 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 you see these on like blooper reels and whatever else, I mean, people are just like, oh, the idiot cameraman, blah 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 blah. The the actual truth of the matter is, you were in the you were in the best position to cover the play. I mean, that that a, a lot of times that the 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 guys that get rolled up on or, or hit are, are because 
they they have a feel for where the game is going and they're and they're in that spot i mean yes and no it's just luck of the draw i mean like because i think of all the great still photographers that i've you know roamed the sidelines with and you know that's a that's much more of a feel thing than than video because they got to get one frame and you know the saying is you're better to be lucky than good you know better to be lucky than good and like Yes, you can say, I just think I that situation, that was an incomplete pass. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time on that one because <laughs> I just got plowed. <laughs> What's, it's, it does feel like that the low end zone, low angle, like up into the air is the one that sort of is the money shot for like the receiver jumping up to high point the ball oh, or somebody diving into the end zone at the pylon. It does feel like that there's a that that's sort of the go to in football for sure. Well, and I think I think, you know, like. If you watch, you know, I know you want to watch if you go to a Titans game or you go to any football game um, and you watch the photographers on the sideline video and and still guys, they all get in the corner because they want that jump ball right in front of them. Um, Now, me, I went to the corner because I need to see like if the play happens in the far corner, I need to see it. And if I go to the end line, there's people there and I'll get blocked. Yeah. So my whole goal was like I would kind of position myself probably about five yards deep in the end zone, so to speak, on the sideline. And that way I had the back line. I could see the back line. I could see the goal line all the way to the other corners on the opposite side of the field. What's the right angle for a hockey game? I I struggled to shoot hockey. You know, I remember remember when I was in Knoxville, I'd shoot it low. But, like, you got to remember – Things like that happen so fast. It's hard for the viewer and viewers in like a 30 second clip to really capture what's going on. And so I think, you know, the center ice view when is, is the most like, so you have a sense of what's going on. And then that's why they, in hockey, they use the other angles, the ISO cameras to supplement the goal view. But like hockey happens so fast that to only watch it from like an ice level camera, you don't have any perspective of what, you know, what set up that play. So, I mean, I I would, and honestly, like, because I'm so used to, like when I was down on the field, this is one of the things I would get back. I come back to the station, put my uh, video in the computer, and then I'd start looking at like TV copy because I didn't see any of that during the game. And I'm going, oh, that's how that happened. Because I was like looking through a straw for three and a half hours. <laughs> do you, th- and, do you think- it wasn't a bad thing, but it's just, that's how, that's like, it's, it, you know, it's like why coaches watch the all 22 camera because yeah. they want to see everything happen. Do you think sidelines are too crowded these days? Uh, the NFL, not very. In colleges, um, yes, because they'll give, they hand out yeah. sideline passes like Halloween candy. Yeah. um because because there's you know i think the nfl made a change in like oh six i think is when it was because that was the year i went to dc they went they started eliminating or they made it difficult for you know uh, it's not really satellite markets but like okay the titans are here then nashville but like knoxville used to come when i was working in knoxville they would come to titans games i didn't get to come i get to go to one but Memphis would come, Chattanooga would come, maybe Bowling Green would come down and cover the Titans. But in 06, the NFL um, basically limited the the video the video cameras on the sideline to just the home market, and then we had to come up with this pool system. It kind of failed um, miserably, and then they started because they were only allowing like one local camera on the field, one local video camera on the field. Now they went back the next year and let every station, but like if a station from Knoxville wanted to come cover the Titans, they could only get sound in the locker room and have to get video from a state, their affiliate here in Nashville. And so like that kind of thing is not worth, if you think about the time and effort it takes to get here from, you know, three out six hours or five and a half hours in the car and all you get some sound, you don't get your own video. Yeah. It's, it, it makes it difficult, but I think, you know, the NFL sidelines have gotten more, you know, they're more regimented because um, 
it, I think they're stricter with credentials, but then on, uh, but from the other, from like colleges and stuff like that. I mean, like there's so many people that have access to sideline passes that don't yeah. need to be on the sidelines. It, you I mean, got to recruit Cal. You got to recruit, man. You got to put the, you got to put mom and dad, the, you got to put mom and dad that, on the sidelines, you know, but they only need to be there for the pregame. Well, got that's what you say. Um, <laughs> that's what I say because I'm not... trying to do my job. <laughs> Lamestream Sports is a podcast about Nashville sports media and business. It is hosted by the Nashville banner Steve Cavendish, and it is brought to you by Jaspers. Oh, you almost did it without cutting out there. Almost. 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 Go to Jaspers. The parking is free. The food is spectacular. The game room is even better. Can I? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. The game has so many great games. Don't do it. And here's all I got. Just follow the rules, people, of the games. Like, if you're going to go to ski ball, don't let your five-year-old crawl up and drop the ball into the 5,000 slot. Okay? That's against the rules. If you're playing Papa Shot, don't allow someone to like reach around the netting and like drop the ball in for you. Just play the games by the rules, and you'll have no problems in life. Go to Jasper's. Wow, very passive aggressive. <laughs> Thanks. Well, your aggressive aggressiveness about why it's not a thing on a pod is just—it's just sort of frustrating to me, and I don't know how yeah. to get around it. Yeah. So now I'm just, just keep gonna go, pass- just keep going here, Joy Boy. Let's I'm go. Gonna, I'm gonna passive aggressively go around it. Sell the food. Let's go. Come on. Fajita bar. Done. Fajita bar. Got big fan. What big, else do I have huge to say? fan. I mean, fajita bar. Do I have to do anything else here? We I don't think just, so. I don't let's think. just cut the commercial here. Go to Jasper's. Fajita bar. Fajita bar. Go to Jasper's, everybody. Was that enough of a commercial? Go to Jasper's. <laughs> All right, what, who is more difficult to work with? Ken Wisenhunt, Southwest Airlines, or Corey Curtis? Uh, Ken Wisenhunt. <laughs> <laughs> Worse than an airline? Actually, Southwest, you know, I'll tell you, the, the, the background story on Southwest Airlines is I became an expert in their baggage policies. And the reason I became an expert in their baggage policies is because when we would travel... And we had to fly commercial. I had to bring a lot of equipment. And Corey Curtis likes to, you know, post all the bags that I take on, on Twitter and social media because he's <laughs> like, I can't pack light. And I know I can't pack light because my 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 nature is to be prepared for kind of all situations. Yes, could I could I get by with a camera, a microphone, a battery, and you know, whatever media we're shooting on or that kind of thing and the, the bare minimum, but yet yeah, then something crops up. And like Corey might not be happy with the way he's lit. Oh, well, you know, I didn't bring enough lights, Corey. You know, because because so it works too. It works both. You know, if he wants to look good, he wants me to light him properly. I got to have enough lights. But anyway, so I became uh, Southwest has a baggage policy there for media, and um, I became well versed in it. And there were there were times where we would go to the ticket counter to check in and. I knew the policy better than the Southwest person checking me in. <laughs> and I would, you know, they'd be like, no, that's not the case. And then I'd have a sheet of paper that had their policy on it. And I gave it to them. Oh, that's so good. Did, did Ken Wesenhunt not come with a set of policies? Mm. No, <laughs> he was, well, it's funny, you know, this is, this is the thing, you know, covering the Titans, you had Jeff Fisher, who was very media savvy. And you had Mike Munchak, who was a, a very nice person, just a nice human being. And like you had that. And then you went for Ken Wisenhunt, who granted he was um, probably, you know, dealt a tough hand with the way the roster was and stuff like that. But he pushed back so much. And like we're, we weren't Nashville's not this like crazy tough media market on they're, you know, not like Philly or New York or Chicago where they're just, and he would, they, it just became this adversarial relationship with the media and it didn't need to be that way. So 
can you try to explain to people when you set up like a, a, a coach's show or an interview situation where you know you've got like a one-on-one or some time with somebody like what give me like an example of how all these coaches acted in those situations and you can go to you can come all the way to Vrabel if you want most of them okay in those situations most of them were good you know I they they walk in you know I'm setting up the cameras and tried to be set up in plenty of time um before they arrived and most of them all of them were good in those situations I think you know just the coaches coaches have their own idiosyncrasies about how they like to handle the media and some can be more forthcoming than others and I mean I think you know, we see that today with Mike Vrabel. He bristled, you know, there's some things he doesn't want to I think back to, you know, last year with, uh, or even this offseason with the um, uh, Traylon Burks asthma thing. If they did just come out and said it, you know, we wouldn't have to speculate. And, but that's, that's their prerogative. We're, we're living in their world. But then that gives us, in, or it gives us in the media fodder to talk about all the time. So, I mean, it's kind of a, if it, if they were, there wasn't some kind of, I would say, controversy. Then what do we talk about? You know, it, you know, when teams when teams are thirteen and zero or fourteen and zero, I would say those are those aren't they're they're excited. Fans are excited, but like from a interest, like a just like a interest standpoint, like there isn't much interesting. Yeah, you guys are running the ball well, or you know, you're you're stopping everybody on defense. So we're talking about the same thing over and over again. But I mean, as far as like all of those coaches, you know, were great, you know, they had more, inter- like I wasn't the one necessarily doing the interviewing. I had, you know, a reporter with me, whether it was Corey or Emily, Kayla, Sarah Walls, John Bork, Tom Oates, John Dwyer, you know, they kind of were the ones that would handle the interview, but like they were good in those situations. You just, you learn how to ask a question to get the answer you want. And sometimes Sometimes, you know, you kind of knew what you were going to get. And like with Ken and, and with Mike Vrabel, you knew what kind of what answers were you going to get. And you just tried to work with what you had. I mean, you're not going to get no coach is going to give you like a playbook. What if you were going to redo uh, if you were to redo a coach's show, how would you do it? What would what would be what would be different? And, and let's let's stipulate that you have a coach who's willing to 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 embrace whatever your vision is for the show. How would you change, how would you change these shows from what they are now? Well, I think to, I think back to, you know, if you watch some of these college coaches, like football shows on like Sunday mornings, I mean, where they like race through the highlights, I think you got to, you got to, you got to bring people places. They can't, they can't go by watching the game on TV. And so you got to introduce them to the personalities on your team, give them a diagram of a play and why a play worked. Um, I think, I mean, I honestly thought like, and th- the other thing you have to be is you have to be real. You can't sugarcoat everything. Like it's all candy canes and unicorns when you're two and 14, like that, that just, that's, you know, I think that's what, you know, Jeff Fisher, when he was doing, you know, Monday night, you know, when the Titans were new in town and Monday night live with Jeff Fisher was worked is because Jeff was willing to, you know, Hey, we didn't do this right, you know, and, and expound on it and that kind of thing. And then we had access to the players. And so we could do features on the players and things that would give them, give you a sense. Like you got to know, I think, I think back to one of the segments that um, Tim Hardiman created, it was kind of based off of MTV cribs but he called it rock the house and he would go to these players houses and kind of get a tour of how they, you know, were living. And and I remember one specifically of, of uh, Drew Bennett. Um, Drew Bennett was, I mean, it was like a college frat house, like the like trash. And I mean, it met beds, not made, but it's that kind of thing. Like that brings viewers into it gives them a sense of like they know these people as opposed to just like racing through highlights and sugarcoating every everything, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. 
How did you, how did the Titans play a role in your marriage? Well, uh, in 2011, when I came back from DC, um, the Titans were still using Delta Airlines as their charter. And there was a flight attendant that we, the charter, let me, let me preface this. The charter crew for the Titans is the same. Like they, they, they interview the, uh, they interview the flight attendants and they bring the same people. So like, you know, if there's 10 games, the 10 games you're flying, you see the same people. And, um, 2011 there was a, the flight attendant and it wasn't until 2013 that i actually like started talking to her um so but, two so two years of flying because so so the this is when the media was allowed to fly with the charter yeah well we we were uh channel two as the titans partner was allowed to fly with this wasn't all the stations yeah. in nashville or all the media it was channel two because we were the you know the preseason partner and the host of or the you know producers of the coaches show this was something that that predated my time when the titan or the oilers moved here and the station worked that out but anyway um so 2013 comes around and we're on a trip to seattle which is a longer trip and you know you, you, you just talk to people because you're on a four and a half hour flight to the west coast and one of the flight attendants, we started talking and more we talked, you know, we had a connection. I found out she was from, you know, New Orleans, where I was from and started dating. And that was October 2013. And in March of 2015, we got married. So, yes, I met my wife on a Titans charter. Um, and it. it you know, things work out for a reason because in 2014, when uh, the next year they switched charter carriers. And so if I hadn't, uh, you know, made my move at that point in time, it might not have happened. <laughs> if you had waited three years instead of just two, <laughs> it well, might not have worked out. He's a patient man, Steve. He's a patient well, man. Well, but here's, but at the same point in time, um, my wife at the time was in a relationship with somebody else. So, whoa, whoa, no, no. In 2011, she was single in 2013. <laughs> I got <gotcha. laughs> you. I got you, dude. Um, all right. So the, the, we'll leave you with this and we appreciate your time. You've been, you've been very gracious. Uh, I'm curious what your perspective is with your expertise, knowing that streaming services are, are now heavily involved and are only going to continue to get more involved in the broadcast world with Amazon and with Apple and with Google, you know, all whatever is going to be broadcast now. And, and of course the, you package that with the social media clip, digestible, like insatiable, like completely meaningless content that we just consume at a, like an in incredible pace. Um, what is the future of a broadcast look like for sports fans 15 years from now when it's all streamed? Is it change? Is it just is it that is that just the name on the company change and it's exactly the same? Or, it, it, you know, we're we seeing companies play with different styles of broadcast right now. You know, I think there, you might have different things. You know, obviously we saw um, last year the Manning cast kind of took off. Um, that was something that you know reinvent kind of reinventing how people watch the game. Um, I don't know that you can like dramatically change how you present a football game because if you think about it like when espn did the manning cast now they're going to take it to college football i think a little bit this year they're still giving you the option to watch the game in regular fashion so you have options to watch it or like you know when espn does the the national championship football game and they got like the mega cast and they have you know, they've got across all of their platforms, they've got, you know, the coaches tape, the coaches room, they've got an Alabama broadcast, they've got a Georgia broadcast. And like you can watch whatever you want, whatever your desired flavor is of the game. Um, I don't I think that's kind of what we're going to get more of. I don't think that 
you can fundamentally reinvent you might get a different camera angle but i don't think you can fundamentally reinvent how you present a game because whether it's baseball hockey you know you still need to see the action and if you're too focused on what i mean let's you know i take the manning cast i watched that a lot on monday night football because it was just entertaining but like they you know they go off in these tangent conversations and it wasn't about the actual game but that's what people want to consume they want this this candidness and and maybe insight into places they wouldn't get to listen to or hear otherwise um i think more is going to be available via streaming i mean like i think back to um i just i signed up for nfl plus because i want to watch my saints um you know preseason game i mean i may not watch the whole thing but i want to watch a little bit of it and because the saints are out of market nfl plus is five bucks for a month um i'll sign up and i'll cancel it in a month because i don't there's not a whole lot more for nfl plus than that now there's the premium nfl plus premium it's like 80 bucks or <laughs> nine ten bucks for a year but you, it's like it's like nfl game pass like i just i don't need to watch the all 22 or replays of the game that kind of thing so um, but- I said I was going to let you go. What What is your favorite camera angle to watch a football game? I think, well, I still think the, like watching it from like the, you know, the normal, the, the 25, the 30, just because you can see. And then go show me the replays of how, like, like the all 22, because I want to see the, I want to see the analyst diagram, like why this play happened. And then, you know, I might want to see the, if it's a, fade pattern to the corner of the end zone. I want to see the guy get the, you know, get the money shot of, you know, the football and the, you can see the laces and the NFL, NFL logo on it. And then, then see the guy make the spectacular catch and tap his toes and that kind of thing. Like you want, I want to, see, you know, I think the pylon cam is a pretty cool invention because it gives us, you know, when the, you know, they don't use it a lot, but you know, that's that perfect down the line view. And you, you know, every now and then you might get a winner as far as like the pylon can. So, so, so it's the action, the analysis and the art, right? Like that's what it is. It's you want a little bit of everything in a broadcast. Yeah. And I think, I think the networks try to give you that right now. I mean, that's why think about this. Like, you know, that's why, you know, Tony Romo has kind of changed the color analyst game because he was giving he wasn't droning on like not that those guys were bad but there was a new it was a new way of thinking and so now there's this new race that's why Tom Brady has signed a gargantuan contract with was it Fox exactly. after he retired yeah. after he retires because they but you know but like think about this like Drew Brees you know that not it's not going to work for everybody everybody thought Drew Brees would be the next guy and I love me some Drew Brees because I'm a Saints fan, but like, it, not everybody's gonna be not everybody's gonna be Tony Romo, you know. Tom Brady, we've seen more personality from Tom Brady in the last three years than we saw in the twenty that it was in New England. Yeah, and I but 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 is he is that gonna translate to when he's calling a game? So we'll we'll, we'll see, yeah. but I mean that but you know, it's it's. It's it's an interesting you know the world we're living in because there people are leaving. They'd rather watch the Manning cast than the regular version of the game. So they got to do something to spice up the regular version of the game. But you really again you can't. I don't think you can totally reinvent how a regular game broadcast is presented. Because yeah. you like, wanna... because you forget the focus what the focus is. It's the game, not all the other stuff around it. Well, you want to feel like you're sitting there with the Mannings at a bar watching the game, and that's what that is all about. And uh, Cal, thank you so much, man. Uh, I've been around you for years. You are a consummate professional, and I appreciate you giving us some time here. Uh, and best of luck. Discussion. Best of luck in the new uh, public sector anti-sports uh, world or non-sports world, I should say. <laughs> you know, so. I get to I get to be a fan now. Yeah, that's the one yeah. thing. That's the one thing that I'm. You know, as we as we head into this football season, we're basically there. I get to be a fan. And not to say that I wasn't a fan, but I, you know, Braden, you know this from being at sports, at, at sporting events. And Steve, you know this. 
you can't always you can't always you, you're not supposed to cheer. It's it's a it's a faux pas if you're in the media and you're cheering in an event, and then you get so used to that, that it, it gets go, beaten out of you. Yep. And then and then yeah. when you do go to a game as a like I have gone to games with a fan, like I feel like it's awkward to kind of to yeah. cheer because you're conditioned the other way. You have to be out of it. Like you have to be out of the cult to see all the problems with the cult. You know, like you have to be fully out of it. Um, it, either way, man, uh, you were great at your job and, uh, I'm sure you'll be great at whatever you're doing next. And, uh, can't wait to hear more about it, but thank you for your time. We do appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. Thanks guys. That was Cal Baxter of news channel two. Uh, obviously his exit interview, uh, after a long time in the sports media world in Knoxville and in Nashville and elsewhere as well. Um, again, one of the nicest guys, we appreciate his time. And, uh, I think you'll be seeing his work soon, but like, can't really don't really know what it's going to look like or how it's going to be but he's too good at what he does to not um uh be out there and, and doing stuff so working for the state now but if you saw highlights of any sporting event on news channel 2 at any point over the last 20 years he probably shot it uh i i appreciate the i appreciate his candidness about uh being in the line of fire <laughs> and uh I, I mean i know a bunch of still photographers that have that have taken bumps and bruises uh even one who broke a broke a hand pretty good uh and, but have lost a lot of equipment over the years uh when i was when i was at the uh at the tribune uh some one of our guys was covering a bears uh covering a bears game db goes it goes flying out of bounds uh and he was a good he's a good you know five yards off the off the sideline so it wasn't like he was hugging the sideline and just it had he was shooting with a long lens, and that long lens just got snapped right off the camera body. Uh-huh. Uh, just brutal, yeah, absolutely like, brutal. I think Cal's message is correct. It's just not worth it, and because <laughs> all that all that happens outwardly, like in the public sphere, is all of us just like laughing at the camera guy who got bulldozed. Right, and like meanwhile, he's got a broken leg or a torn ACL or a clavicle. What's gone wrong? Thousands of dollars worth of equipment, which he probably has to own and then lease out to the companies is get gets damaged it's just it's it's a wild thing to be doing that i I did want to bring up one thing about hockey uh hockey is incredibly hard to to shoot as he said uh on the still side the best hockey stuff is almost always shot with remotes um yeah the 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 really interesting stuff the um we i've run the helped run the visual coverage for a couple of different uh stanley cup runs like one in tampa bay 20 years ago one in uh, you know one in Chicago, and our best stuff was almost always uh, off remotes. And guys, guys, just you know, they they, would, they look a little bit a little bit like a drummer because uh, they had a couple of foot pedals. They were hitting the stuff from like overheads and it's like yeah. high on the glass. That's the only way you can do it because the action is so fast. I feel like soccer broadcasts could be more fast paced with more angles because you could do it, but they tend not to. Um, I do love the goal goalie cam when the goalie's putting the ball back in play and like it's a low angle shot and all of a sudden it zooms out real fast and you get the entire world in the shot. As soon as the ball's kicked, I think that's a really cool shot, but soccer it, seems like a very mellow broadcast. You could do more to move it, move it around a little bit. You could, like. although I always like having as big a shot as possible yeah. because you, you want to see what's happening off the ball and there's so much that happens away from the, uh, away from the ball. It's just, it, it's, it's very, very tough. It, it's funny if you if you watch any of the like the Champions League broadcasts, uh, th- those are all a pool feed. You know, you have one kind of big world feed for everyone that, that they have commentators work uh, working off of, and every time there's a goal, it's the same sequence of replays. It's all really good stuff, but it's like it's like the goal from you know goal from this corner, then the goal from this corner, then the goal yeah. from behind the uh, behind the uh, the net, and then the goal from overhead, and the goal from you know it's you know it's it's interesting that you say like that you want to see more of the field. I find it interesting that more NFL fans don't want that in their football broadcast because a lot of times it's it's so it's cropped so tight that you just are seeing sort of like the offensive and defensive lines, and you're seeing the pocket, and you're not seeing a lot of stuff that's happening outside of the play when when a lot of us want that in our football broadcast but as soon as you you can it's it's completely like you can it's so predictable as soon as they have a high angle shot on a regular tv broadcast for a football game you could just open up twitter and just watch the bitching 
Oh, like, it's just it's just you can you could set your clock to people complaining about a wider angle lens. And I'm like, wait a second, I can see more of the field, though. This is good. It's one of the reasons why I like what ESPN does with uh, with the college football national championships, it, because they give you, you know, they'll give you the all 22 feed uh, for the entire game. Yep. And it's it's so much better to watch. Um <laughs> If you don't care about like having the tight shots and uh, you yeah, know, yeah. here's the dramatic reaction and here's the whatever, because you get the replays and, and you're, you're going to see the tight stuff on the replays. But being able to see the whole field, I mean, you can see particularly I mean, when you have good quarterbacks and how they're adjusting to yeah. the, the DBs. It, it's just it's so much better. Well, and that brings us right into how CBS has broadcast the SEC for the better part of 25, 30 years. Uh, obviously, ESPN will no longer be broadcasting Big Ten games starting in two seasons. So there's two more years of that theme music that we all love so much on CBS. I retweeted this. The CBS account today put out uh, that you know that theme music. You know, dun 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 dun. You know, and you can hear the whole thing. Uh, and I'll try not. To I would. Sing I would hope you would sing the whole thing. Actually, yeah. Um, but with Big Ten players in it, and it was so wrong. I it think it was so so wrong well i think uh i think barstool uh put out the same theme song with big 10 players and it was all the worst plays <laughs> <laughs> so it's like da 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 punter drops the snap da 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 quarterback falls down da da like it was just it michigan was actually, finds another excruciating yeah. way to lose yes it was it was quite yeah. funny um i gotta give Bar- barstool man they hit one every now and then there's no question about that yeah. um all right so that brings us to like what college football saturdays are going to look like and real quickly just a discussion about this because I, I think it is the discussion to me that is interesting is about the bre- like how many broadcasts as a network are you trying to put out there? And what I've noticed in this conversation this week, because your Saturdays are going to look like this. You're going to get ESPN, SEC, and ACC games at 11, at 2.30, and at primetime. You're going to get SEC all day on ESPN. Then you're going to get Big Ten at Fox at 11 a.m. You're going to get Big Ten on CBS. You're probably going to get you know Penn State versus Maryland at 11 a.m., you're going to get Iowa versus Wisconsin at 2.30, and then you're going to get USC and Michigan at 7.30 for that West Coast audience on NBC. And what is interesting is that I think ESPN's college football broadcasts are not good, <laughs> but their Monday night broadcast is great. I think CBS's Saturday broadcast is spectacular. It has defined the genre of college football. Some of that is because, Steve, they do not up and down sample their signal. They go from 1080 to 1080 to the truck to 1080 to the to the studio to 1080 to the satellites and distribute it out to their to the TVs. Whereas ESPN goes from 1080 down to 720 back up to 1080 and it affects the, the quality of your picture. Fox only does like the one big game on each day and they shoot more in 4K, but their NFL stuff is spectacular. Their college stuff is garbage. It yeah. looks like it's not even been white balanced. So it's really just about how thin do you want to spread yourself as a network. And it feels like NBC might have found the sweet spot here because they have one broadcast on Notre Dame on Saturdays, one on Sunday night, and both of those broadcasts are extremely high quality visually for the consumer. Uh, I'm a little worried about that Notre Dame broadcast because they you go from having uh, Tarico and like a really good analyst there. I mean, it used to be Chris Collinsworth. And then it was, I think it's, it was Drew Brees last year. It was Mike Mayock for a while. Oh yeah. It was Mike Mayock for, for a couple of years. I, I'm a little worried about it. Cause they've got now, uh, Jace, is it Jace or Jack Collin, uh, Collinsworth? It's oh, Collinsworth's that is, kid. That is Jack Collinsworth. Yeah. Jack Collinsworth. It, it is now the, is now the play-by-play guy. And they brought it and they've got Jason Garrett doing the color. And I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little worried about NBCB here. <laughs> well, if you care about Notre Dame, then yeah, you care about that. But most of us are only going to watch the Saturday night broadcast. That's probably going to involve USC or UCLA most times, whenever they can. And that's going to be, a, I'm telling you, that's going to be a hell of a broadcast because NBC does not spread itself too thin. That that is the key here because the Titans fans hate CBS because they're going to get the E and like like Cal said. You're getting the D, E, and F broadcast crew, which includes fewer cameras and fewer this and worse cables and worse that and worse this. Definitely broadcast crews <laughs> yep. are not high quality. So it's all about where your team is located in the pecking order for a given broadcast network that you're going to get. the. And that's why the SEC has been so great on CBS on Saturdays, 
is that crew is all by itself. Like it is the only Saturday CBS college football crew and they are all self-contained. I'm curious if they keep that quality going to the big 10 because they're not getting, they're getting the third tier rights essentially from the big 10. So we'll see what the quality looks like there. Uh, The interesting thing to me is the, of uh, the, the, the big 10 sort of propagandists, uh, have t- have started talking about this kind of wall of football that they're going to put up on Saturdays. Like there's not a wall of SEC football, on Saturday, <laughs> but 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 there's like this wall of football that's going to be starting at eleven here Central and then going all the way to pack you know pack you know pack twelve after dark broadcasts or whatever they're going big, you know, big ten after dark big ten after dark. Um, the interesting thing to me is that is going to require a good UCLA team. Now they've been better and Chip Kelly has them pointed, I think in the right direction, but that, I mean, that, that program was garbage for, for 10 or 15 years. See, you're missing it. It's not, it doesn't require a good UCLA. It requires Oregon and Washington. (laughs) And that's, what's going to happen. And that's Uh, eventually, but, but right now it's, you know, you're going to get a good use USC program. Uh, and those games the, are going to be good, but yep. I think you gotta you gotta have, you know, a, a UCLA that can that has the potential to win a game against a big Eastern team, and if that happens, I think that that changes the dynamic. Uh, but so, but until that happens, you know, so there I'm, was some. There I'm was probably still watching the you know the ABC. No, no, nobody's watching. Nobody, nobody from the South. You're not going to win Charlotte, Atlanta, Birmingham, Nashville. New Orleans, Houston, you're not going to win those markets with UCLA over the A&M Ole Miss game. It's not going to happen. You're going to the A&M Ole Miss game is still going to win in the Southeast, but there are more people on the West Coast and in the Midwest. That is why they get, they're getting a billion dollars a year. The Big Ten is while the SEC is getting three hundred million dollars a year now for basically the same package. And that is a very different set of numbers there for the Big Ten. Also interesting that the Big Ten's contract runs out four years earlier in 2030, which Seven billion dollars could be escalated to ten billion dollars, so they've already baked in expansion into this contract, and then that's going to run out at twenty thirty, and they're going to be re- they're going to be up for negotiations four years before the SEC and ESPN. This has already turned out to be a brilliant deal for the mothership. It's already brilliant for ESPN. My question, uh, my question, as far as the SEC goes, is after that CBS game goes away, because that CBS game has always been. I mean, regardless of, of who's playing in primetime. That has always been the marquee game of the week. That is the that is you know, I think that's the one that the most people tune in tune into it, or it, at least are are aware of. No, it, it's fourteen years in a row. It's been the highest rated college football broadcast. I'm interested now if if that means that the prime ESPN uh, SEC game becomes a primetime game, yep. as opposed to an afternoon game, and that would be bad. I I, I would I would. I would not want that. I I would still want a big marquee game in the middle of the day. The good news is, is with Texas and Oklahoma, is there'll be enough SEC games that there's no, there'll be at least three marquee games. I don't think you can argue there are three marquee games in the Big Ten every weekend. I think there are in the SEC, and that's the difference. That is where SEC football still wins. Now, here's the other thing. The 230 time slot for the Big Ten is, in theory, going to be the worst possible matchup of the three. So if you're ESPN, don't you want to counter-program and put your best matchup up against their worst matchup, or do you want to go head to head? I don't know. That'll be an interesting decision. I think it probably depends on maybe time zones, right? If it's Georgia, Florida, maybe you go earlier. If it's LSU, A&M or Texas, maybe you go later. I, I don't know. I, I think it, uh, those are tricky decisions, but it, either way, you're going to have a whole lot of options to watch college football, just like you always have. It's not really going to change, um, but $1 billion a year <laughs> with a B which could be $10 billion a, over seven years, that is different levels of money than we've ever dealt with in college athletics. It is. It's not that much outsized what the SEC is getting, though, when you add up all of the SEC deals. I mean, that is the, that is the, that is the, top, line number, that is the top line number for, for all of the Big Ten stuff. I, you know, and it comes out to, uh, I mean, I forget what it comes out to per school, but, but the, the SEC numbers are not that 
it's not like it's, it's not like the SEC is like five hundred million dollars behind now. I mean, when, once no. you start once you start stacking up all the ESPN and, and the other pieces there, it's it's still it's still a boatload of money. No, there's they're both rich beyond their wildest dreams right. past everybody right. else in college football. There's no there's no doubt about that. So, uh, but that's the latest in the broadcast world on college football. Uh, we'll end everybody today with the pod with uh, what the greatest recommendation in the history of Lane. I got a really good recommendation. All right, go for it. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna recommend F Boy Island. So there you go. So okay, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> it's great. It's great. It's a great show. Although I do love Nikki Glaser. She uh, is hilarious. She is. She is. She is supremely funny. Uh, and go watch. Uh, I was watching her outtakes. Sorry, I was watching her outtakes from the <laughs> from the uh, the Alec Baldwin roast. That like the stuff that was like couldn't get on air that she gave that she gave to the uh, she was on Stern the next morning. Uh, reading the stuff that was was too hot for uh, it, it. Listen, it was F- great. F Boy Island is not highbrow entertainment, but no, it, it is. is <laughs> but it is entertainment. <laughs> it is indeed entertainment. Right, there's my recommendation: F Boy Island with your wife. Go for it. <laughs> uh, so we're a hundred days from the World Cup, Ooh. Uh, and, and and I'm starting to get really excited. Uh, one of the reasons why I'm excited is while you're watching it, Walker Zimmerman play, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm really excited uh, because there's a writer that I have loved forever. His name's Brian Phillips. Uh, Brian used to have this site called Run a Play. It was this really sort. He used to write this like really esoteric kind of soccer stuff that was just. It was just really interesting. It wasn't like he was. He wasn't trying to like break down Chelsea's defense or anything like that. Uh, he wasn't trying to explain like you know here's what it, you know here's what a false nine is or here's here's how inverted wingers play or whatever. He didn't do any of that. Uh, he got to the really sort of interesting stuff, and he he's written a couple of books and and done some other stuff. Uh, but he got hired by the Ringer full time here a few years ago, and for going into the World Cup. He has a podcast series called 22 Goals. And it's not a conversation show. It's not uh, him uh, him mining. I mean, although there's, there is some audio from different sources, it's just him waxing poetic about a goal in a game. And he gives you all the history of the player and how they got to that point and why that goal matters. And the, the first one out of the, the first one out of the gate is about is actually about two goals and it's about Maradona in 86 World Cup. And everybody remembers the the hand of god goal uh which is the first one he scored in that game uh to beat England but the second goal was the one where he slalomed through basically the entire England defense. And the, the thing that I love about Phillips is he has a way to convey a joy about a subject that you just, it just makes you giddy. And he has a way of describing, uh, you know, the, the history behind events and leading up to a, a point in a story. He's a, he's a supremely good essayist. And, and that's what, that's what great essayists do. And it's just, it's so good. The first one is on Maradona in 86 uh, and the second one that just came out this week uh, is about Ronaldo, not Cristiano Ronaldo, but Ronaldo uh, at, the, uh, at the, what was it? It was at the 2002 World Cup. And, it, and it's just, it's so good. And you get so much backstory and you get so much of him kind of just setting the table. It just makes you really excited for the World Cup. And, and, I, and I can't, if you're a soccer fan at all, Pick these, you know, li- listen to these things. They're like 45 minutes a piece. Do, do you have to have like some semblance of reference? Like, uh, like I, you know, I start thinking about like the most famous goals that I know of off the top of my head. And I'm like, all right, Landon Donovan against Algeria. Um, I, I think about like the own goal for uh, Colombia in the 1994 World Cup by the Escobar because there was a four, 30 for 30 on it. I think about a couple of the, the French goals that won the World Cup when they won it in 98. Right. He gives you all the context. Okay, so you don't and, have to. You don't have to know. You what you ha- okay. He tells you. I mean, he. If you don't know who Diego Maradona is, he tells you why Diego Maradona is okay. one of the most talented people to ever touch a ball with his foot. Okay, uh, right. and, and he's just. It, it, it's so evocative, uh, and, and and really funny. I mean, Phillips is a really funny writer, 
and to hear him like kind of do the little asides that that he that he would do in his essays uh but but to hear him kind of talk you through them okay are legitimately i i find myself laughing out loud as i'm as i'm listening to some so, of this so 22 goals the podcast 22 from... goals okay. you can right. i mean it's a ringer thing right. i think it's on all the podcast platforms I, i'm sure it's on spotify uh but but it is well worth checking out particularly if you are if you're like me and, and you're just you're excited. You you were missing something this summer. The World Cup should have been this summer, and so now we got to wait a little bit longer. This will tide you over until okay. November gets here. That's very very. It's it's just one of the best things I've heard in a long time. And in between, watch uh, F Boy Island, where there's a lot of false nines, uh, of course, on on that show. Um, yes, Steve, would you like to add something else? Well, I would. I, I do want to say. Uh, I I do want to say, and I'll say this quickly. Uh, the uh, the banner put out a piece this week about the racetrack and why there's no deal. Uh, we we talked with Chase McCabe here a few weeks ago about racing, and and somebody reached out to me uh, after that podcast and said, "Hey, uh, you you might want to might want to check into this." And so, kind of digging into why we do or don't have a deal uh, is you know this is a thing that's been 95% done. Uh, I'm told from sources for for a year. It just needs to get across the finish line. Uh, and the longer it waits, the more expensive it gets. This was supposed to be a $50 million deal, and now it's going to be a $100 million deal. And if it waits much longer, it's going to be a $125 million deal. And at some point, the economics of it do not do not work. Yep. It doesn't shake And out. so yep. the mayor's office is scrambling to try to put this out there, I mean, to, try, to try to get this deal across the line because they have a $2 billion Titans deal uh-huh. right behind it. Yep. And it is... It, it, it is fascinating to see exactly how this is going to get done. Excellent work by you, uh, NashvilleBanner.com. Go sign up for the newsletter. It is excellent. And uh, it was I, I saw that there was a sports headline on one, and I was like, oh, all right. Uh, and listen, if you're in the media in Nashville. Well, something for the dealer. Uh, yeah. Uh, listen, if you're in the media in Nashville, we know you're listening. Okay? That's it. Like, full stop. <laughs> full stop. We know you're listening. Um, all right. Uh, special thanks to Cal Baxter for hanging out with us. We do appreciate him, man. Best of luck in his new chapter. Love the guy. He's great. Awesome. Uh, and, uh, we'll see what news two does after that. And of course, uh, special thanks to Jaspers for always supporting and promoting and putting on this great show for you guys for free every single week. So go to Jaspers support local businesses, everybody, NashvilleBanner.com. Steve Cavendish, where can people find you at scavendish, uh, on Twitter or Instagram. You can, can follow me. You? you can follow me at Braden Gall at 440 Sports. Go to the YouTube page. Turn on all the notifications. We really, really appreciate all your support and uh, all you guys who hang out with us every single week. We love you for it. Thank you so much. Uh, for Steve, for Cal, I'm Braden. Thanks for listening. This has been Lane Street Sports here on the 440 Sports Network. <laughs>